Hey listeners, today we're doing something a little bit different and we've got a guest on. Uh, today our guest is none other than our producer Rodney Hutton. Uh, now Rodney's got, he spent the last three years in innovation, 25 years in digital before that. Got a background as a developer, designer, project manager, done heaps of work around audio, so mixing and recording. Over the last 20 years, including live music, theater, voiceovers, music production, he's done it all. And we're very lucky to have such a great man mixing and producing for us on this podcast. Hopefully I captured all of that, Rodney. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Great to be here. Appreciate it. So, uh, Rodney, you've brought to us a couple of your two best ideas today, and we're going to take a look at your ideas and have a chat about them. So let's uh, maybe kick off with idea number one. Yeah, okay. Thanks, Patrick. So this idea is born out of this podcast that we're producing. It's something that uh, came to mind after discussions with you guys and after, uh, after doing this podcast, recording and producing it. It occurred to me that there is no one place. The pain point is there's lots of people want to do podcasts but don't have the uh, technical ability, the know-how, or the gear. And, and you see evidence of this, people buying lots of things online, you know, podcast gear, and then selling it again. And lots of podcasts are being attempted, but, you know, you hear about everyone doing it but ne never completing it. And it occurred to me that uh, we saw the same thing ages ago with websites and it resulted in this thing called Wix being born where people could just create a website online with a few clicks without any real design chops or coding knowledge or anything like that. They could just create it, you know, using this web interface. And I thought, why can't we do the same with a podcast? Have a platform that does it all. You can record it like we are now. We're doing it over Zoom. You would do it within the platform. There are plenty of precedents for that. There's all sorts of meeting software out there. I mean, Zoom and Teams are obvious ones. CoView is one that's dedicated for medical practitioners, for uh, tele health uh, and it's very secure and you, you kind of get a meeting room or a consulting room kind of format where you enter that meeting room we could do the kind of similar thing with a podcast studio online what do you think of that wow i think that is a really interesting idea really interesting and i love the uh comparison to wix personally i like that comparison sort of like the build your own sort of podcast because there are a lot of different styles of podcasts and you could sort of build build your own. And well, just uh, my immediate thoughts uh, before I pass on to Dan for his is just, I went to Wix HQ in Israel in 2018 and the chief marketing officer was giving us a tour. And he was saying how at the time he was like, yeah, you know, this whole build your own webpage sort of thing, it's it's sort of taking off. And and the, uh, the build your own web page market he said there's this he gave some crazy numbers i can't remember it but he was saying that basically google or like the main players of like building your own website like do it yourself like at home as a coder or something like only three percent of websites actually had properly been built like with a, with a sophisticated website or something like that right so it was something like the market share there was like this huge market at the time like for wix and he was saying that there's like basically only three percent were being built by actual these build-it-yourself platforms rough explanation but point is what i'm saying is i think that this could be another potential opportunity where there are not many platforms actually doing this and a huge number of podcasts in the future to be made, you know, because it is still sort of taking off as it's still quite early in the podcasting in human existence. I mean, how long have books been around? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, I just, that's this one, my immediate thoughts. Anyway, positive to Dan. Yeah, look, I think it's a good idea. And obviously, Rodney, you take care of a lot of this for us. So, you know, you, you send us a link, me and Patrick, we jump on, we, we talk for 20 minutes or whatever it is and then you kind of go away and do all the rest so this you're in a unique position to be able to 
think about or you know have this problem and and think about the solution and so what i kind of think is the i suppose the five stages of podcast recording so you've got the recording itself obviously what we're doing right now there's the editing which must take quite a while going in and taking out you know all the little bits and pieces there's the publishing and the hosting there's the distribution and then there's the analytics and i think there are platforms that do each of those and that might do two or more of those and they do it fairly well i think the same as any kind of software you, you know there are individual pieces of software that do their little bit in the process very well once you start bringing it all together do you get to a point where you get a bloated product or a bloated platform that is trying to do everything but it doesn't do anything well you know it kind of does everything at about 20 percent versus everyone else doing it at 100 percent, but just doing their one little bit and i think that would be i suppose the the challenge with this how do you bring it all together but from a desirability standpoint i think fantastic if we could just do everything in one platform it would just make it so much easier you know a, a single subscription so from a money standpoint and also from you know, having to remember different logins super simple we don't have to upload or download or, or re-upload do any of that stuff it's just all within the one platform yeah i, I think it's a it's a great idea and um, right. i did want to say as well that i have found a couple that are similar so spotify seems to do this but i did find a few kind of cons from their platform and podbean was another that i saw was was kind of in this space as well so it, it feels like there are some out there I haven't played around with them, so I don't know how good they are. But I think definitely demand, you know, given the number of podcasters out there and the number of amateur podcasters who, like you said before, don't know what they're doing. And again, so glad that you're doing this for us because I would have no <laughs> idea how to do the editing and a lot of the back end stuff. But yeah, it's, it feels like there's definitely demand for them. Yeah, great. Uh, it, it occurred to me too that um, I don't see the the parts of the promotion and distribution that you guys do through Buzzsprout either. I, you know, I optimize the file, I get it sounding good. I chop out all the unneeded spaces and information from the podcast from what you record, you know, and I make it sound great. Uh, and then I give it to you as a finished file with the top and tail. And and then I don't see it again until I actually get a notification from Deezer that there's a new episode, right? So I yeah. think there's a whole side of it that I'm not privy to as, as much as, uh, you know, as much as you guys. And I think it occurred to me that having one platform to do much of this, and you're dead right, we're, we're probably going to see a little bit of a compromise in, in features or quality because of that. But I think there's enough of a sweet spot to hit that 80-20 kind of rule and get what most people would want and expect from it particularly for beginners anyway, into one platform. And uh, there are some great services out there for, I don't know if you've heard of things like Otter AI, which is a transcription service, which will transcribe audio. It'll also edit audio for you as well and take out the ums, the ahs. And we know Teams already does that as well. So there's some really good AI tools for optimizing the audio and editing it. Obviously, they're not going to be able to look at content yet, right? In future, I think they will. You'll be able to get an AI to go, well, that's not serving the narrative. Let's take that out, right? We're not there yet. But in future, future, it could be. So AI could be a really important piece of this. So it would be like we're doing this now. And when we're finished, it would then top and tail it, take out anything that's unnecessary, put a sting on either end of it, and then automatically upload it and distribute. This is not a pipe dream. This could be done. Yeah, um, Rodney, you've got me very excited. That's <laughs> don't, don't be saying things like this. That's crazy. I mean, that is, uh, yeah, to your point, that's something that could be built. And I think um, it's definitely like, something that we should probably look into. <laughs> like, I feel like this could be, we could probably build this. I mean, yeah, if, if someone's a podcaster out there that's got tech skills, I mean, send us a message. I mean, yeah, right. Holy yeah. Hell. So um, I think we've talked enough about the solution, it being a web kind of platform interface. 
a point and click, uh, very little skills are needed to use it. I and mean, that would be the idea, it would be aimed at the absolute beginner. A lot of, I think, experienced podcasters wouldn't touch it with a barge pole. Maybe they would if it was useful enough, I don't know. But if you've got all of the gear at home and you're used to doing that that way, then you'd probably stay with it. But there's probably, I don't know, I don't know what the figures would be that would be many people out there that of thinking about doing a podcast would do it if it was easy, but don't know where to start. This could be the answer. Well, I think the thing is a lot of podcasters will start and something like 90% of podcasts don't make it past episode 10. So if you're creating something, you know, so obviously there's a lot of amateurs who are just giving it a go, but don't continue with it for whatever reason. So I think huge market in that, yeah, more of that amateur first time giving it a try type market. But I think you're right. The professionals who are doing this every day probably have their very specific sets of software and they're probably paying thousands of dollars for it. Or they're, they're part of a, a media company or some podcast network, which has all of these facilities available. Thoughts went to a, like a tiered service potentially where the basic subscription is X, you get so many podcasts per month or whatever for your subscription. But then if you want a real person to edit it or to assess it, in any way then that's extra you know if you, there'd be professionals on hand maybe a, a list of, of people online that could edit it and optimize it for you and, and work with it uh similar to um, so, so it, it doubles as a, a job marketplace yeah potentially connecting, yeah. Uh, would be podcasters with producers yep. and editors and, and people who create music for stings and people who you know it could be quite the marketplace i think potentially anyway and, and I'm sure that the, mm. there are platforms already doing that, but uh, I think bringing it all together into one kind of hub, there's some value in that, particularly for the beginner. I think the, the uh, interesting part there is like you want to bring it all together, but I think to compete and to get a good runway in front of competitors with this idea, you'd want to definitely automate as well and have that automation option. You'd want to go to market with that, Yeah, I think, straight away. That should be the core given the current conditions. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, you know, you click right. the button, produce podcast, and this little wheel goes around and says, you know, optimizing, um, leveling, adding music, you know, and then bang, it's done, right? <laughs> you know? mm, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway. All right. So problem two. You're a parent, Dan. You know, the school drop-off yep. thing is a big pain point, right? Uh, if you've ever been near a school during pick-up or drop-off time, it's a schmozzle. It's a complete car ballet. It's very, very difficult to, to navigate. There's real congestion around these schools. Parents are stressed because they're trying to get to work, but they've got to drop the kids off. They're worried about the kids getting to school safely and getting home safely. So they're having to take time of their day, which, you know, can impact their work performance or their standing at work. It's, it's a, it is a real problem for our society, I feel. You know, when I was a kid, I could walk to school. There was no problem or ride my bike or catch a bus. But these days, parents can't trust anyone, right? I don't want to trust anyone. So we live in a different time. They need to drop their kids off at school and pick them up or have somebody do it that they can trust. And that trust issue is a real problem. It's just not existent. So the idea is to have like a Uber style, people mover style service, which will drop kids off at school and pick them up. It's a trusted service with accredited drivers. It's potentially done through the schools or in conjunction with the government or something like that where we're really uh, projecting trust and able to reduce congestion around the schools and reduce the danger of kids being hit by cars and so forth as they're running across the road, getting out of their cars because parents can't get close enough to the school. There's all sorts of problems that it would solve, I feel. so. And I've even got a, a potential name for it as well. It's uh, Uber for schools or Scubas. <laughs> that's, that is actually good. <laughs> I, I really got Scubas. I would, that's actually a good name. 
to get a scuba. And I think I just, I've just had some, some fresh thoughts on that. I like, quite like that. It's almost like Uber has reached a point ready for disruption. It's like they've started increasing their prices, getting a commercial model. Their CEO used to be like the CEO of Booktopia or something, you know, it took him to a certain, I can't remember what's his name, um, but he's gone to a certain level and like then he's just like fully commercialized and now gone full, like we have to start doing every money surging prices have gone it's like it's just ready for disruption and and it's like the verification of drivers and and everything and the saturation of markets and all the markets are just so busy with drivers and i catch a lot of ubers and every uber driver says it's so competitive do you know what i mean there needs to be it's just ready to just to be broken up again i think you know in the bundling and the unbundling and with the scubas thing the school market i think that's really interesting and i just want to raise an interesting one so I've, i'm living in london and you know been around europe recently and i just want to say this might be a potentially very suburban sort of idea in terms of target market or potentially even maybe australia focused i'm not sure about the scalability i feel like maybe maybe america but I, I, someone said to me recently just like here in london it's like the kids in australia just take longer to grow up and it's the same with like the Nordic regions as well. There's a lot less pressure and, you know, you're outside a lot. And but here, kids are riding their bike to school in like central London with no shirt on yelling at people. And it's like <laughs> the, ki- the kid's like 12 years old or like like eight years old, you know, with eight-year-olds and stuff. Maybe the maturity level of the kids is, is sort of a thing here and also distance to school, whether you actually need to drive, right, is the other one. Yeah. I think you're onto something. And just quickly, Dan, before you chime in, what we're talking about here is affluence of the society. And the more affluent the society is, the less they're willing to compromise. If you can afford to do this, to drop your kid off and protect them, you will. Like, and in a lot of countries, they just can't, right? That You're on your own, kid get out the door right you got to get to school we're an affluent society and we can afford to shelter our children a bit more a bit longer i think that's how i see it so three points i think uh, first there are already school buses that will go around and, and basically do a route um so not a public bus it is a bus specifically for a school and then i have them i see them around here so the kids will go to a bus stop but they're specific bus stops that yeah the bus will come and pick them up not sure whether that's a paid service or a free service but it is run by the school and it does basically do what you're suggesting here so one, I think that kind of service already exists, but it exists still on a public nature, whereas Uber is is smaller, less people. It's more one-on-one. I, I think the other challenge here is trust. I've got two young kids and I would not put them into an Uber by themselves at eight and six. And I don't know how you get over that trust. How do you, how do you get it so that a parent can trust some random stranger? I think that's a huge challenge. Yeah. So you, would, you wouldn't trust somebody to go into an Uber, even if they were there, you can verify the driver and they have a history and you can you can look at it but you would allow them to stand on the side of the road and wait for a bus and be vulnerable for a period of time yeah well that's that's true and i, yeah. I personally wouldn't not yet i think they're yeah, still okay. too young for that but yeah. in either case it is the trust in the other person that is the the biggest barrier that you need to overcome for an idea like this to work but i also think it's worth expanding this so you've specifically spoken about the school drop-off for me school drop-off not too bad i can do it on the way to work it's, it's not that bad if you get there before the rush hour it's not too bad so it's less about that but there's a whole bunch of other activities that happen you know it might be sports or extracurricular after school going to see friends going to the shops again my kid's too young for this but i think when you get into that 10 to 15 range maybe what the idea is uber for kids so it doesn't matter where the kid is going it doesn't matter where the destination is so it doesn't have to be school specifically but it is a trusted ride sharing service that goes beyond just the the driver checks for their vehicle is good that they've got a, a good 
good driving history and it goes into that child safety police checks yep. and so really potentially the service is yeah, uber for kids and so it is a yeah a service that parents can trust is safe for them to get in because you wouldn't put a kid into an uber at this point because you don't know the driver so i think if you can go to that next step yeah and create this uber for kids i reckon that broadens it away from just schools because like i said you've already got the school bus you've already got the option to ride and walk there are options to get to school but there are less options for other activities as well i, I really like that addition there dan on you know the, the expansion of the idea i do just want to just bring the focus back to this trust issue just to just make sure you just flesh this out because i find it very interesting and i'm not a parent but I find this very interesting. I'm not a parent, but I, I feel like I'd react the same as you. Like, you know what I mean? I wouldn't, I wouldn't put my kid in an Uber at six. Like, definitely no. But then I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, I wouldn't put them in an Uber or a scuba, but I am just going to drive them and drop them off into a school. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, well, that's a weird psychological thing. It's sort of like, oh, the school's okay, but like... The car's not okay. I don't know. It's it seems is it the strangers that you or is it the death of the vehicle that we're not trusting here? No, if you think about it, you drop it off from school and you leave your kids for a whole day with a teacher. And so a teacher is there's probably some professions which are, you know, trustworthy by nature. You know, and forget other bad things that have happened. But in general, you know, a teacher, police, fire, you know, there's a doctor, there are certain professions. If it was teachers in Ubers, so if it was all the teachers from the school who were driving the Ubers, you'd probably trust them because they've already got that trust. That's a really, really interesting idea. I don't know whether you would be able to put that extra load on teachers who are already overworked, right? But my point is, like, if you use technology in a, an intelligent way, and I'm always going to be about the tech, that if you do this right and you have things like, you know, you have verifiable credentials, perhaps blockchain driven, so that you know this person is, they don't have a criminal history, that, you know, they're clean, or, and you know this, you can trust them, you can see their history, right? And then when the child is picked up, you get a notification from the app that says your child's picked up by driver X and then is delivered into the care of somebody else by that driver and you get another notification to say that's been done. Maybe, maybe it needs to go further than that. Maybe, you know, those the ring systems that you can have like your door at front of the door, you can see who's there and you basically got a live stream on your phone which connects to your your front door ring. Something like that in the, in the Uber or the ride share where it's constant live stream so that you might not physically be on that trip, but you can live stream that whole trip. Because I think the tech, yes, the tech is an enabler. In the end, you are still trusting the person and you can have as much tech as you want. You still need to trust the person. No, no, we're on the same page. It's, Dan, is it about the trust of, I, I don't know, I'm not a parent. That's why I'm just trying to understand. Is it about the trust of that this person is not going to harm your child like physically or take them in a weird some weird route or is it the thing about the crash or both like oh, it's both yeah both yeah so i like the live stream idea but i was going to say like why don't we custom fit the car so like the driver's like locked in or something can can't get out and there's like a screen in between the back or something i don't know i'm just saying like do you know what i mean there's yeah I yeah. All of this stuff could be explored, I think. And and looking at some of the, the services that I referenced uh, from the US that are doing this uh, already uh, and doing things like it, they do this kind of stuff. They have a lot of this technology, a lot of these checks and balances, a lot of this protection built into them. And I think, you know, we could look at all, all of those and kind of pick the, the eyes out of the best. We, we've referenced before the society that this is deployed in is going to be really important too. Because I mean, every society is different. You talked about 
in London there is very different to what it is here in South Australia or in some of the Norse countries. Uh, it's going to be very dependent on that society, with e even within a country. I mean, I'm sure there are places within the UK that would adopt this and it would work and other places where it wouldn't. So, And sometimes there's not a need for it. And perhaps there's not so much of a need for it in some regional parts of South Australia. But I feel if we're talking about some of the more affluent suburbs, there would be disposable income, there would be the need, there would be the desire for it, I feel if you can project that trust. Definitely agree. And so are you just copying the same Uber revenue model? What do you? How do we do this financially? Good question. Uh, there are a number of options. I feel that the Uber model is, is a good one. I feel there is a potential to work with government if we make this fleet of vehicles electrified and rather than just a one-to-one a -one service where child A gets picked up and taken to school, child A might get picked up, but there's an algorithm that looks at child B and C are very close by and going to the same place and can pick them up at the same time. So it kind of schedules the driver to do that and have an efficient ride and it would impact the cost of the service. You'd be able to provide it for less money if you had that kind of thing built into it because you've got many students living in a catchment area that are all going to the same or similar schools and AI or an algorithm could actually work out what's the best route. We've already got that technology for route optimization. could be called in and used effectively to, to make sure that these trips are being optimised uh, and, and therefore potentially government looked at that and you had an electric fleet doing that. They could say, well, we're saving X kilograms of greenhouse gases and we are taking X cars off the road. Therefore, it's you know contributing to our net zero targets and we can, we can fund it or subsidise it. There are a few options there, I feel. Yeah, nice one. Well, Patrick, any Anything else uh, you want to add to that one? Yeah, that's. I think that's just a great, great way you could definitely run the model, Rodney. I think you had a lot of ideas there. Yeah, I guess you just have to sort of test a range. It's a quite a large venture, to be honest, to get something like that. You do a small test with a school or something and then scale up from there. You'd have to sort of do it like that, I think. Start with one school, probably a private school in Australia that would be easier to test with. Schools are employing innovation directors and stuff now at private schools, so you can get those. You can test. You know, They're open to testing ideas like that. I was going to say, mate, I just had a quick thought just a quick final thought which was is there a linkage here with new drivers or you know high school kids taking kids to school i don't know maybe that's too high a risk you want an experienced driver is that part of the verification i don't know yeah final thought but interesting apart from that yeah because i think you're right you hit it on something there too the age of the student would would make it more attractive or less attractive young it would be more attractive to i think parents with younger kids than it would be yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So there's probably a primary school thing as well, hey, like it's a, it's not really secondary school. Yeah, a lot of talk about the markets, the model, desirability. I think we, we covered it. What do you reckon, Dan? I think we're done. And uh, Rodney, fantastic ideas. Thank you for being our, our first guest. Hope you enjoyed it. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, guys. Listeners, hope you enjoyed it as well. Uh, let us know what you think. A little bit different. We hope to do a few guest episodes going forward. So, you know, just break up. Patrick and I are just uh, banging on ourselves for, for 20 minutes each week. But yeah, enjoy. See ya.